Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week, we take a look at the text, we talk about the text, and we offer up a special musical offering related to those texts. And this week, we have a special guest with us, a guest host. This is Tim Ness. Hi, Tim. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Good. Can you uh, share a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. So I am uh, Pastor Tim Ness. I'm currently serving as the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Clifton Heights, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. Um, I live uh, close by there. My wife, Laura, uh, whom Ben and Dan both know very well, is also a pastor, and uh, we live at the Parsonage uh, in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, where her church is. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here, uh, Tim, and looking forward to the conversation we have. This, uh, this week, we're talking through the fourth Sunday in Easter, and the texts include Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25, and John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. want to read the first reading i can do it okay this is uh, acts <laughs> chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles all who believed were together and had all things in common they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is so idyllic that from time to time, my mind just skims over it. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, I was just thinking, it sounds like the happy ending of a fairy tale. Kind right? of. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is how Shrek ended. <laughs> they had the goodwill of all the people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. They might as well be in a castle. <laughs> right. That classic fairy tale Shrek. <laughs> is your mixtape going to be I'm a Believer? by Smash Mouth, their cover. I mean, it wasn't going to be, but it, it might work. It is now. <laughs> it, I mean, I love, I mean, the whole thing is just, I love especially the connection to um, 45, that they distribute, sold, that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. I really love the fact that they saw, if they saw anybody in their midst who was in need, someone who was hungry, someone who was homeless, someone who had any issues, health problems, was alone, whatever, 
They're like, we will do whatever we need to do to make sure that everybody has what they need. So I'm going to sell this. I'm going to get rid of that and then make sure that you have it. And I think that is really cool when it's framed in that generosity yeah. framework. Yeah. As, as idyllic as it sounds, it is also super inspirational to me that people would live this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was going to say, I, and so with that in mind, it, and for me too, it kind of, it kind of gets me ramped up and sort of lights a little bit of a, a fire under me, I think. But then my question always becomes, how hard do you sort of hit with that? Like, you know, what, uh, to what degree do we call people to this kind of living? Like given the, the, the systems of our current reality. Yeah. Like I went through a phase in college where I loved reading about like, um, communities that were trying to live with this model and like <laughs> they all began much like this and they all ended much different than this. At least the ones that I was able to get my hands on. Um, there are some that found success and there are many that weren't able to sustain. Um, and so the, the kind of reality of how we act as human beings um, inside the, the realities of this world, it becomes a struggle uh, when we only read this part of the text. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I had a uh, professor in college who connected some of the writings of Paul to this. So in a lot of the epistles, Paul right. is collecting a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And he posited, like, maybe that's why, is because they sold all their stuff and they didn't, they didn't save them. They weren't living, you know, frugally or whatever it is. Um, and so that's why they needed to have the rest of the church sort of support them, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I think in an American capitalist consumerist context, we might say, oh, they were being irresponsible with their money. Um, but if the whole church rallies around this type of generosity and this type of giving, then maybe it could work. Um, I don't know. It just, I, I don't want to dismiss it as pie in the sky. I still think that the spirit of this um, and maybe even the practicality of it is something worth looking into. Yeah. 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 And I don't, I don't want to be pie in the sky. From a Go ahead, from man, a I'm preaching, sorry. yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I think we might be heading to the same place. I mean, from a preaching perspective, I arrive here with this text, and I say, I imagine a lot of the people hearing this inside the congregation that I serve with and outside might have the same struggles with this text. And so, as like, what is its usefulness? Um, to us right now, you know, like, I don't want to dismiss the possibilities, but I also, even though I read this text, I'm not feeling strong calling to, to, you know, transform Trinity into this. Yeah. I think I was going somewhere similar and I was thinking of sort of our, of our Lutheran roots in the sense that you can imagine, um, monastic communities like throughout Christian history being built on this model or being built with this spirit in mind. Uh, and then Luther railing against monasticism, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a calling, like, you know, and, and his whole problem being that it's, 
it's not a higher spiritual calling and, and monks and, and other folks are not living on some deeper spiritual plane than the rest of us. And it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's okay to live sort of a normal life uh, and, and see that as a, as a perfectly valid Christian vocation. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I don't know, I have a couple thoughts about how this could be applicable. Uh, one is thinking about churches that are kind of at the edge and uh, financially and uh, stability wise and thinking about, all right, the, the, usually the reaction or the reaction can be to circle the wagons, not do anything risky, you know, be as frugal as you can with your savings, don't invest in anything. Um, but really, what would it look like if we said, you know what, if we're going to go out, we're going to go out and we're going to take care of our neighborhood and we're going to take care of our people. Um, we're going to start a brand new feeding ministry or clothing ministry or something else. And we're going to buy the coat racks in order to make it happen and take out an ad in the newspaper to let people know. And if this ends us, then we go out doing Jesus' work. Um, I think that that can be incredibly faithful. Um, God doesn't call us to just preserve an institution for the institution's sake. The other thought that I have is, um, I mean, really like thinking about the capital campaign or any sort of financial campaign that comes up in churches. Um, and it, if we're framing them in terms of we do this so that we can pay our electric bills, so we can do the roof repair, uh, those type of things, then forget about it. Um, it's not worth it. But if we're talking about it as a way to take care of those who have needs so that any among us won't have any need, uh, I think that that could be incredibly powerful. You know, we're fixing the roof so that AA can continue to meet here and Naranon can continue to meet here and so that the preschool can continue to provide an education mm. for kids so that parents can get out to work like so that no one has any need uh, that's why we give up what we have and share everything in common it could be a good stewardship sermon yeah for sure and and I'm really glad you you're saying that cuz I definitely had not been thinking about it that in that light uh, and it's uh, it's probably important for for so many churches right now to be to be thinking that way. And like, there's a couple of cool examples that I've heard too. Um, I can't point to specifics, and I'm sure you could look it up and say, okay, fine, it's First Presbyterian or whatever it is. Um, but churches that are committing to pay one another's debts, mm. so you can sign up and say, look, I've got twenty thousand dollars in student loan debt. I've got. $4,000 in credit card debt, I've got $10,000 in medical debt, and then the congregation just raises funds to put it together yeah. to try and make sure that everybody is taken out from this burden, um, which is kind of a really cool, practical way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, can, I share, can I share one little example from, uh, from my church? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... Um, so we participate a couple times a year in um, a homeless ministry in University City down in, in Philadelphia at, at, uh, at Uni University Lutheran Church. Mm -hmm. And um, we were signed up to do it first Tuesday in April, so just a couple weeks ago. And um, normally we would have a big group of people from the church get together and cook together, like in the church kitchen, uh, and prepare this meal. And then we drive it down there and, and help serve it. 
uh, but they have changed their whole model given the pandemic and uh, they wanted, you know, individually packaged meals for people uh, or, me- or, or meals that they would package themselves to give to people uh, rather than they usually have like a sit down dinner every Tuesday and it's, it's really wonderful. Uh, and so we didn't want to gather a big group together to cook at the church, obviously. Uh, and so we went to a local restaurant and asked if they would do some catering for us. And then we would just drive it down there, drop it off, and the people at, at Unilu would distribute it in whatever way they wanted. And so we did that. Uh, but it turned out the, the people at the restaurant, uh, as, as much as they're struggling, you know, not having quite the same volume of business that they would have, uh, they donated all their food for free to, for That's this purpose. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was just like yeah. completely... Uh, completely overjoyed about that, that they, even in, even in the midst of their struggle, wanted to, to give away um, all that food. And we probably, probably fed about 80 people. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it just made my heart really, really glad that day. That's awesome. And like that type of thing, I think a sermon could, you could lift up and celebrate those kinds of acts of generosity. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I, especially with this text, it's really easy to just like, oh gosh, look how far we've fallen. Look how short we've come up. Mm-hmm. And in, instead of just doing that, you can be like, look, here are the ways that people are sacrificing and giving so that there's no one in need among us. Yeah. 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 That's always, that's always our goal, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, Dan, I'm glad you said that, like, verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, 24, uh, 244 um, is, it's just like hanging over me, you know, like the alls in there, all who believed were gathered and had all things in common. And, and I just, you know, I keep arriving at that sentence or that phrase and thinking, we're not at all, you know, <laughs> like, we're, we're yeah. at some and, but I think you're right, like, folks, the ways that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is enabling us to do some of this and look for opportunities to live to it a little bit more. All right. The second reading for this Sunday is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you, are, when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But when he entrusted himself to the one who judges, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. This is a nice little, nice little passage. But taking it out of context makes it nice and easy to, easier to swallow, I think. Uh, Verse 18 is especially problematic. And then going on into the rest of chapter 3 is also problematic. Uh, Verse 18, slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, 
but also those who are harsh. And that's the, the you, for it is a credit to you if you endure pain while suffering unjustly. Um, and then chapter three gets into wives in the same way accept the authority of your husbands. Um, so yeah, that, that changes the way you read the text a little bit, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure the, the lectionary people were very careful to make sure verse 18 got chopped off. Yeah, right? I would be interested in the history of our reading, though. Like, how long has it been chopped off? Like, I, I don't... I haven't researched that, and I think that'd be an interesting lectionary question. Um, but, regardless, this is what we have right now. Um, but also, nonetheless, even without that verse there, it still felt... It still felt like a weird thing to come out of the voice of uh of christianity because so much of my life has been spent um realizing that verses 19 20 and 21 um are dangerous you know um it's and and 20 the same with 23 and 24 just these these ideas that um we need to suffer um silently is a dangerous one. And it's because of our background with uh, the injustice we've, we've shown to people of color and people in minority positions. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And especially now when, when Christianity itself holds such a privileged place in society. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it is way different. Um, to talk to a minority people and uh, from a minority voice and say something uh, to going to having a majority voice and say this um, out loud. I mean, it's just a starkly different context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And at its, at its worst, I think American Christianity wants to, wants to pretend that there, there's still ways in which we're under attack and need to endure through suffering. Uh, and I hear that from, from, mm -hmm. you know, people in, in my congregation and, and plenty of other places too. Yeah. Uh, when and, in fact it, you know, it's, it's really not the case. Yeah. Because the alternative is to say that we are in the, we are the oppressor then. Or were the bystander right, at that. Right, and no one, no one wants to, to put themselves in that position. Yeah. Which is understandable. Sure. Repentance it, hurts. You know, but it, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it, it, it leaves some scars. Well, and I, and I, think, I think many Christians would try to take these verses and run to a metaphor place where, you know, sometimes we get sick and we need to persevere and sometimes, you know, but that's just not what the, these texts are talking about mm -hmm. here. I mean, the, with the context that Dan brought up and with what we have in front of us, I mean, it's clearly talking issues of physicality and personal autonomy and the way that, that we are treating one another as whole beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was like for me, like I'm, I'm always trying to dig and get to the center of what was the original or not even original, but like, what was the good that this author was trying to say? 
with this text, you know? Like I'm, I feel so far removed from it, I have a hard time locating it. Yeah. I mean, for my understanding, the historical context is there's some persecution coming at the Christians um, from whenever this person who's claiming to be Peter is writing. And so the advice comes to sort of fly into the radar to show that you can be really good Roman citizens and you can abide by very strict and uh, accepted gender roles and uh, uh, you can, same thing with the power structures about all the stuff that comes in with uh, wives being obedient to husbands and slaves being obedient and deferential to their masters. Uh, and then a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit earlier on, we get all this stuff about uh, verse 13, for the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and et cetera, et cetera. Um, this coming from the people who are following a Lord who claimed to be Lord and was crucified for being a king uh, uh, and also was crucified uh, under the authority of a governor. Um, it, it feels disingenuous and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just my state of mind. Sometimes I would bend over backwards to try and find a bright spot in this kind of reading, but part of me just would preach against it and say, Peter was wrong. Here's how this stacks up with the others or quote, Peter was wrong. This just doesn't add up with the rest of what we've witnessed in scripture. Yeah. But when I, when I read Peter and I really hope this comes all across. Okay. When I read Peter, I have a part of Peter. I have a similar experience of, um, of reading, the works of Martin Luther King, encouraging uh, his fellow African Americans and Black community uh, into nonviolence, and I think that it's totally okay for Martin Luther King to encourage his community uh, in that way. It'd be totally something different for me to lift my voice and say this is what we should be doing to that same community. And that's the same reaction I'm getting out of this. Like for First Peter, uh, for whoever this author was in First Peter. They're in a minority position and they're trying to figure out how to be Christians. And like, if you want to encourage folks <laughs> to do that, who are on equal footing with you uh, and, and are going through the same things, like, cool. But as a person in political dominance, if anything, what I feel called to do is listen to this and say, under my watch, as someone with this privilege in the world and this power in the world, no person should feel like they have to do this. Like, I'm the ones, like, I'm, I'm closer to the governor than I am to Peter in this. I'm closer to Caesar than I am to Peter in this. And I need to change how my life is working so that anyone falling in this category doesn't even have to entertain the idea of 20 and 21. Like, this is something that you will, that you should never have to do. Yeah, nor others should ever have to do. But I think the what I think is at odds in this passage is when you do have to do it, it's so that justice might prevail. I mean, the whole like, okay, suffer in this way and bear your sufferings because Christ did. 
When he was abused, verse 23, he didn't return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That's really great. Um, but Jesus didn't bear suffering and he didn't um, bear abuse and not return abuse so that Rome could stay in power, so that the poor could continue to be trampled, so that people could continue, human beings could continue to be enslaved. Like the status quo was not good. And so Jesus bore that in the sense of justice. And that's why I think bringing up the civil rights movement, that there was intentional suffering that was happening and bearing it, like that was the model of civil disobedience. Um, and it wasn't because, great, we really want to support what's already happening and we're just going to take it. It was for, it was nonviolent resistance, not nonviolent acceptance. And and that's the latter part that's not included in this pericope that really messes with the experience of the sex, doesn't it? I even even with the wording of the the rest of the pericope, the rest of the text following this pericope, I I I too don't think that we're ever meant to actually accept the status quo of the way things were. And what I'm staking that on is the way that Jesus did not accept the status quo in nearly every town he walked into, you know, like th this idea of we're here to perpetuate what already is um, really flies in the face of the, the mission of Christ. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm at odds with that part, too. Tim, would you like to read this one? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you. Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Mm -hmm. Hooray for metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that might be my, my favorite part of the reading, even if it's not a particularly preachable point, uh, is that Jesus used this figure of speech with them but they did not understand what he was saying. <laughs> um, and maybe there is some preachableness to that, but uh, mm -hmm. in the sense, you know, in the sense, I feel like when we do Good Shepherd stuff, there, there's a lot of conversation, like say in my, in my pericope group here in, uh, in Delaware County, um, you know, how useful to a modern, particularly where we are, suburban and sort of city context is the, is the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. Like, you know, most of the people around here don't have any 
interaction with with sheep or or shepherds for that matter um which is not to say like obviously people are aware of what those things are but mm. it's not necessarily a metaphor that that speaks to them on a very personal level i also hear verse six and be and just like i think i've preached that same thing before like like i have this really nice wonderful overarching like metaphor for a sermon and then i get done people are like i'm not sure what you're talking about oh yeah right yeah you come up with like a like a really good reference to a like a tv show or something and like half the people in there have seen the tv show so you spend more time (laughs) trying to set it up than than actually landing the point yeah and then you go into yeah and then you spend the next few verses explaining yourself so i'm the gate right um (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, what would be a a metaphor that gets across what Jesus is saying here that people could relate to better than a shepherd then? That's a good question. I thought mm-hmm. of dogs, like people that have dogs. Dogs, you know, when we are far off from the house can recognize the sound of our car pulling up and dogs recognize the sound of our keys. And the same with like pets in the home. Cats will react. They won't react in the same way, but they'll, <laughs> they'll react. Um, <laughs> They'll be like, oh, that guy's home. Yeah, exactly. They might decide to get up and leave the room when you enter. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think dogs are close. No, but our, our dog certainly certainly does that. You know, she's waiting waiting by the door when she hears the yeah the car doors. And then any stranger, like, they bark at or, or have some kind of, you know, protective measure against. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was in third grade, I was playing uh, Little League baseball and I was in the dugout and I knew when my dad arrived because I recognized his cough. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And like my dad had been a heavy smoker for many years. He's quit for a number of years now, which is great. Um, But like I knew when he arrived because I could hear his cough. and I don't know if that's exactly the same as the shepherd's voice, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. In a similar vein, um, I could tell when my dad was coming home from the, the fields that weren't connected to our house by the sound of the tractor uh, when I was laying in bed. And there were lots of tractors going around, but I knew the sound of the one that he was driving. Um, I could tell you when he was on his way home, you know, like a good half mile before there. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you, you know... You know what your person sounds like. Yeah. That's cool. And that's and like that that comes with time and that comes with trust. And maybe that's a good preachable aspect of this passage to say that Jesus is the one who invests the time, who is with us in the ups and downs, so that when we hear his voice we can recognize it. I've heard a lot of uh sermons and read a lot of commentaries that, that make this into a guilt trip of this is why you need to be in prayer and study scripture. And so it's so you can recognize Jesus's voice, um, which maybe, I guess, but like if we're to follow the lamb metaphor, it's not really up to the lamb to spend time with the shepherd. It's up to the shepherd. Uh, and our shepherd does spend the time until we recognize his voice. And related to that, I really like in verse three, um, the phrase he calls his own sheep by name 
I think that's mm-hmm. really powerful. Um, you know, the, 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 the idea that like Jesus calls you by name and, and sort of gives validation to, to you as an individual, like your identity, uh, and, you know, and Jesus wants you, understands you, cares about you. Um, <clears throat> that can be so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about that. Um, this sort of happens, I think, later on in John in the resurrection story, where where Mary isn't really sure who Jesus is until Jesus names her. Right? Jesus says, oh, "Yeah, right." Like, my favorite part. Yeah. How awesome is that? Jesus says, "Mary," and she's like, "Oh my gosh, it's there. He is. It's Jesus." Or even this past week, um, when. Thomas recognizes Jesus in the wounds, but this is from when we're recording anyway. Um, I just, I love that. And he recognizes Jesus as my Lord and my God. Like I get chills every time yeah. to have that recognition, that familiarity. I think, I think this is a wonderful place uh, to be in. And I think this is one that many folks might be in. I also want to recognize that some folks feel like they're very, very far from knowing of Jesus. Um, and that condemns them as well, or they have been condemned by that. Um, uh, and, and so to, to recognize that, you know, if you don't, haven't heard the voice of Christ in a while, or if you haven't been able to, you know, understand exactly which voice is Christ and which isn't, that does not condemn you from being one of the sheep. You know, this isn't, this isn't prescriptive, uh, nor descriptive. This is a moment, uh, that some of the sheep experience, but this isn't exhaustive. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a way in which Jesus says that himself, like I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Like that this is, this is that Jesus mission is not a a mission to condemn. It's a mission to bring life. And, and that can take a long time and it, or it could take, you know, or, or what am I trying to say? But like, but it's not something that ends with like some people burning in hell and others being sheep. Yeah. It's the sole goal of Christ's arrival is, is to have life and have it abundantly. And just like we said earlier, in order to affect that Jesus shows up over and over and over until the sheep hear the voice and know it, you know, until, until the work is done. And this isn't the work of the sheep feverishly memorizing before their time is up. This is the work of Christ showing up repeatedly so that the sheep just instinctively learn. So I think um, I think if we were if we were able to worship in person for this Sunday, uh, and, you know, I'm imagining even though it's still a few weeks away, that's not what's going to happen uh, for us. But I would probably try to do either like with communion or have some sort of um, like Thanksgiving for or affirmation of baptism ritual where I would where I would try to make sure I said each person's name as they, as they came forward to receive whatever it would be and kind of hear that, that naming for not that I want to put myself in the place of Jesus necessarily, but, but to sort of liturgically enact that, that power of, of hearing your name called. Um, the danger of course is you have to be able to make sure you know everybody's name, but, uh, but I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> and that's what's cool is like to talk about 
Jesus doesn't share, like Jesus won't forget your name and we will. Um, I have a, when I was in high school, I ran cross country and for home meets, when you, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, but when we cross the finish line, <laughs> we cross the finish line at home meets and our coach would ask our name so he could write it down for, for the placing. And the first couple times I'm like, coach, it's me, Dan, you know me. Like I've run hours with you every day for the past, I don't know how many months, you know, and he's like, look, I have a lot to think about. I'm not going to get everybody's name. So just tell me your name. <laughs> like, and like to say that, you know, Jesus isn't one to get flustered because there's too much going on in the world that there's uh, too much chaos. There's too much confusion. Like Christ will remember your name. It, even if you've forgotten your own name, you're so overwhelmed. Hmm. Yeah. And I think there's a way of translating, you know, both of those experiences into what we're doing at home, you know, whether we're, we're pre-recording service or live streaming the service or have materials for people to use at home on Sunday mornings, this can still be a moment where folks turn to each other or turn to a mirror or the reflection in a bowl of water and, you know, say like, this person's name, you are a child of God and loved by God forever, you know? You know, Ben, you know, Dan, that reminds me of a song. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, so the song I chose, I, I went back and forth, uh, even right up to, to before we started recording. Um, so I did decide to go... Uh, like we were joking about, I've, I've decided to go with a ska band. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for those of you that, uh, that might be listening and don't know me, uh, I, uh, the genre of music known as ska in all its different forms and incarnations is a huge part of my life. I played trombone in the ska band. Uh, and uh, yeah, it just, it's sort of, uh, to, to make a, a little bit of a Brooklyn Nine-Nine joke, like, Samberg's character, uh, Scott defines who I am as a person. So, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, so the song I chose is by a band called Streetlight Manifesto. Nice. And uh, it's called Here's to Life. Mm. Yeah. And A, it's just a really great song. Uh, but B, to, to me, it kind of connects to that last line in. The Gospel of John, uh, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so the lyrics of the song are really interesting. The Whoever wrote it, I, don't know, I think it's the, the lead singer of the band, uh, Thomas, writes most or all of the lyrics for, for their songs. Um, it's a song about his, his favorite authors, mm -hmm. uh, or at least what, what I think are some of his favorite authors. So he mentions Camus. Um, he mentions uh, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, he, so he mentions the character in that song, Holden Caulfield. Um, um, mentions uh, Salinger, uh, of course, mm -hmm. um, and a few others. And <clears throat> so the, the Hemingway, so the thing that kind of ties a lot of this together is that uh, they, they died much uh, too early 
in uh, in their lives, some as a result of, of suicide and, and whatnot. Um, and so what he kind of does in the song is play with the tension of, of really connecting to the perspective and the writings of these people, but feeling the tension of <clears throat> of they're succumbing, if you want to use that word, or being victims of, of something really terrible like suicide. And, and so by the end of the song, uh, so the last line, or the last paragraph, I'll read it. Uh, it. And it makes me sick when I think of it. All my heroes could not live with this, and I hope you rest in peace, because with us, you never did. Uh, in KDC, you were much too young, and you changed my life, but I draw the line at suicide, here's to life. Yeah, uh, and so it's very, you know, it's sort of very bare knuckle and 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 <clears throat> and brash, and it is, you know, it's sort of a, it's a punk rock song, but um, but I think in there is this notion that that there is something to life that is worth preserving. There is there is a way in which life can be lived in its fullness, uh, and and for us that that comes through through the abundant life that Jesus offers, um, and you know when the alternatives are are so bleak like like death. Uh, that's if that's where we draw our 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 solace, our comfort, our hope is the abundant life that's that's given to us. Uh, and so here's to here's to life. Excellent. That song's yeah. great too. Yeah, it's it, it uh it just kick. Hmm? It just kicks. Oh yeah, it really does. Good. Yeah, and there's a moment. To yeah. Listen to the whole song. There's, I mean, there's just like <clears throat> this moment where they build and build and build, and then it just kind of breaks open like a wave, and uh, it's got this like mm-hmm. just amazing climax, and the horns uh, are just triumphant. Cool. Yeah. How about you guys? I chose. Uh, I'll jump in. I chose uh, Louis Armstrong's "What a Wonderful World." Mm. Uh, so a little different tone than uh, "Here's to Life." <laughs> <laughs> but, but like I mean getting and I'm leaning more into the axe reading I think for this one um, okay. because the song sounds idyllic and maybe even a little bit naive uh, but gosh darn it I really want to believe it and I really want to live into it um, I always think of the line that goes I see friends shaking hands saying how do you do they're really saying I love you um, and like what yeah it's like beautiful and what if that's how we actually believe like we had this love and kindness shown toward one another um and you just look at the world and you can't help but think what a wonderful world uh and you get to be a part of it so pretty in the sky also on the faces of people going by I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. And yeah, I, I just, I really like that. And I think that fits in with what spurs on the disciples and the Acts reading to make sure that you know, to give up whatever they've got in order to make sure that 
there's no one in need among them because gosh, what a wonderful world. Hmm. What I like about this and uh, Tim's uh, selection is just like setting these as the baseline context for all these texts, like really wrap them together. Like these are like all encompassing selections of macro understanding. And it just, it helped. I love it. How about you, Ben? What do you got? Uh, went in a different <laughs> direction once again. Um, I went with Come Together by the Beatles. Mm. Mm. And the, <laughs> the reason is because the experience of this song feels like uh, both the gospel and a little bit of Acts uh, as well, um, which is basically here's here's a bunch of words that you know people have tried to understand over the course of time and we don't really get it and just like that point in the gospel like uh, <laughs> and but um, jesus tried yeah right but there's also the experience and if you've ever been like listening to this with people who like to sing either in the car or you know we used to cover this in a band that i was in and you know the the crowd always gets like there's two lines that they know which is come together right now with me the second half of the line before it, right? <laughs> so like, no matter what the thing is, you hear this murmuring like throughout of like people just throwing out whatever words they think it is. And then you hear, you got to be free, <laughs> come together. <laughs> and, and I really like this idea of like, we might not oh, understand man. anything else that Christ telling us, but there is, a sense of unity and a sense of being desired and wanted by this central individual. Um, and it falls from it, you know? And so that we are all sheep of this one uh, Christ's pasture, and we are all people that are desired and loved by this God, and then everything else falls from it. They used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what they were saying to them. <laughs> Coca-Cola. I, I know that that part comes up. Yeah. Right, that's <laughs> another one. Like, Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> football always gets me. I mean, it sounds good and like unique. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's like a there's like an old flat top somewhere in there. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Well? 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 I think that's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. Thank you for joining in, and thank you, Tim, for offering your insights and your horns for this <laughs> week's text. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. This was a blast. It, it really was good having you on the podcast, Tim, and we thank you for that, and we thank everybody else for joining us, too. We'll catch you next week uh, with the fifth Sunday of Easter. Take care. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>